Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle, a brief rundown of the latest news. Good evening and thank you for tuning in to Eye on the Triangle. I'm Evan Garris. And I'm Sesha Hindi. Jack Boyer has the night off. Hamid Karzai was re-elected president of Afghanistan on Monday after his chief rival Abdullah Abdullah withdrew from a runoff election, according to the New York Times. The runoff was scheduled to take place Saturday in order to quell accusations of fraud that arose after the first round of voting. Citing a lack of confidence in any subsequent election, Mr. Abdullah decided to end his campaign and cede victory to Mr. Karzai. The result could potentially pose a foreign policy problem for the Obama administration, as President Karzai has been less than effective at rallying Afghan support for the U.S. occupation. Regardless, U.N. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon met with President Karzai on Monday and congratulated him on his win, making clear the U.N.'s intention of supporting the Afghan government in the months ahead. This visit comes only days after three men dressed as police officers stormed a guest house in Kabul, killing eight, including five foreigners employed by the United Nations. Mr. Abdullah has rejected any calls to join Mr. Karzai's government, but has pledged to remain active in Afghan politics. In apparent reversal of its initial policy position, the Obama administration has called for the resumption of peace talks between Israel and the Palestinians without any preconditions, according to Al Jazeera. Previously, the U.S. demanded that Israel freeze all growth of its settlements in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, but Secretary of State Hillary Clinton signaled this shift in strategy during a visit to Jerusalem late on Saturday. Israeli Prime Minister... Benjamin Netanyahu stated that Israel has made many significant concessions in order to relaunch the peace process, but the Palestinians aren't buying it. Spokesman for Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas Nabil Aburadanya is quoted as saying, the negotiations are in a state of paralysis, and the result of Israel's intransigence and America's backpedaling is that there is no hope of negotiations on the horizon. Last May, Clinton said that the president wants to see a stop to settlements. Not settlements, not outposts, not natural growth exceptions. The future of the peace process remains unclear. France 24 is reporting that former Bosnian Serb leader Radovan Karadic will, indis- will attend a status conference at the International Criminal Court in The Hague, Netherlands. This hearing is to determine how the trial will continue as Karadic has boycotted the proceedings for the past month. The court may decide to continue without him being present or appoint a lawyer to act in his stead. Karadic is charged with 11 counts of genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity carried out in the 1992 through 95 Bosnian War that claimed an estimated 100,000 lives. Karadic was arrested on a Belgrade bus in July 2008, posing as an alternative healer. He is especially char- or he is specifically charged rather in connection with the deaths of 10,000, including a 44-month-long or during a 44-month-long siege of Sarajevo and the deaths of 8,000 unarmed Muslim men and boys at Srebrenica in July 1995. His former military commander Ratko Mladic is still on the run. WRAL reports that an Elon University poll released today has found that a majority of North Carolina citizens are in favor of including a government-run public option in any health care reform bill. of those surveyed expressed their support for a public option, with 41% saying they would utilize it should it become available. However, the survey pool was evenly split on the prospect of a national single-payer system, 47% to 47%. The number of North Carolina residents who have private health insurance has dropped over the past year. Only 73% reported they were covered by private companies in comparison to 83% in September 2008. 
The inclusion of the public option has been the focus of intense debate on the floors of the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate. North Carolina State University students are participating in a national competition to retrofit gasoline-powered automobiles with electric engines, according to WRAL. The Eco Car Challenge encourages students to redesign General Motors automobiles into electric or fuel cell vehicles without sacrificing quality. Last year, about 30 NCSU students participated. This year, GM donated a Saturn View to students who will attempt to convert the vehicle and license it to drive on local roads. On this day in 1914, Russia declares war on the Ottoman Empire. And in 1917, the Balfour Declaration proclaims British support for the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people, with the clear understanding that, quote, nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities. And in 1947, in California, designer Howard Hughes performs the maiden and only Flight of the Spruce Goose, the, la- the largest fixed-wing aircraft ever built. Now for some birthday shout-outs. On this day in 1755, Marie Let Them Eat Cake, Aunt- uh, Antoinette was born. She was the Queen of France. And in 1935, Pat Buchanan was born, former candidate for president and political pundit. And I think it's getting a little hot in here, Sedja, because in 1974, Nellie, the American rapper, was born. That does it for the news, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and stay tuned for your favorite segments and more tonight on Eye on the Triangle. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Next up, we have our weekly sports segment with Tyler Everett and Sean Clem. Thanks for having us, Seja. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, let's talk about that uh, disaster this weekend against Florida State. Sean, what did you think? Man, it was it was rough. It was not, not fun times to watch. I mean, from from a positive standpoint, we'll look at it positively first. Uh, the, offense, the offense looks good. Um, connecting well on pass plays. Tony Baker looked great from the ground. On the ground, and uh, we, we had we had success in pretty much all areas of the offense, but defense was atrocious. Yeah, on a realistic note or a negative note, depending on how you want to uh, refer to my stance, uh, it was it was really disgusting to see an offense play that well and it all go for naught. Um, a couple weeks ago, the against Wake, it was about three or four weeks ago. Now the pass defense was terrible, and then against Boston College, the run defense was so bad, and then now the only debate on this defense is whether we're worse at stopping the run or at stopping the pass. It's it's really discouraging to see. Um, granted, there's some, there's a lot of young guys out there, but the defensive line is all seniors, and Florida State had a young offensive line, and their running game ran roughshod all over us. They gained almost 300 yards rushing, and they gained nearly 300 yards passing to allow an offense to have that kind of success on both sides, both through the air and through the running game is just is unbelievable. So we'll we'll hope for something coming going into the uh, game against Maryland. Yeah, and take nothing away from Florida State; they're a good football team. They've they've lost a lot of games, but every game they've lost, they've been in, they've been in the game. It's been a shootout, yeah, pretty and much week in week out for them. And um, they had momentum. They played great in the second half against Carolina on offense. They did nothing against Carolina in the first half and scored. Not sure on the exact number, but they scored a ton of points in the second half and they were rolling coming into this game. But yeah. to to have that kind of effort, no matter the circumstances, is is hard to even describe. And coming out of a bye week, O'Brien's known for being so great at making adjustments over the bye week. Last year, we 
had a little more success after the bye, and then this week it looks like we just didn't even have a day of practice, much less two full weeks of it. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of adjustments are made going into the Maryland game. Sean, you want to talk about what to look for in the Maryland game this weekend? Yeah, Maryland's also not not one of the better teams in the ACC. Uh, they're they're sitting sitting towards the bottom near us, and um, I really think that that we have a pretty good chance against them. Uh, the running back got hurt um two weeks ago three weeks ago not really sure don't have the stats in front of me but um i know he got hurt their quarterbacks their quarterbacks are right but they've really been struggling too as a team and uh i think i hope more of hope than think that uh that we'll be able to be able to give them a run for their money one thing i'd like to see is we saw baker finally looks like he's back to the form of old after missing two full years he really looked great against florida state was breaking multiple tackles every time there were several places he got hit in the backfield and gained six or seven yards anyway and as well as he ran and as well as we all know russell can run i'd love to see us run baker 25 times and run and call 10 design runs for russell not to take the ball out of his hands as a passer but if we can get a dominant ground game to just chew up clock because the only the only way to limit opposing offenses is going to be to have our offense just keep the ball and hopefully limit the uh opposing offenses possessions and running the ball is gonna be the only way to do that we scored an 80 yard touchdown to owen spencer and uh realistically that was almost a bad play because we gave the ball right back to them we got seven points but it was like wow here comes another touchdown for florida state because putting the defense right back on the field like that the best way to go is going to be to slow long methodical drives if you have a long touchdown you're not going to pass it up because that'd be ridiculous but it's we're going to have to control the clock because that defense isn't going to get it done yeah i mean we obviously have to do something different whatever we've been doing has not been working um like i said earlier though the offense has looked good and tony baker you're right has has performed as well as he has in the past and uh he's, he's really back to the the old tony baker and uh, i'm really excited to see that um and on an optimistic note, as bad as it looks now, it, it didn't look a whole lot worse last year with four games remaining. We had a bad overall record. We were 0-4 in the conference. We were going into several. We had four more games left. We had to win. I believe we had to win them all last year to become bowl eligible, and we were able to do so. And that was against two or three of those teams we beat last year were ranked. At least of our remaining opponents, only Virginia Tech is ranked, and they're at 23rd. And it's starting to look like they've been incredibly overrated all season after a good start. They've lost to, lost to a Carolina team that hadn't beaten anybody of note really at all all season and lost that game and have been nearly lost to Duke and some other games. They they don't look nearly as good as advertised from the beginning of the season. So that's a winnable game. And with that being the hardest game, you never know if we can get a win over Maryland. You never know what happens against Clemson at home and then going to Virginia Tech and the season finale against Carolina, no one can predict. But yeah, the chances at a bowl are not non-existent. They're just We'll just have to see. Right, and uh, the ACC, like, like you said, is always just always up for grabs. You never know who's going to win week, week, win in, week in, week out. And, uh, yeah, any team can beat can beat any other team. There's no real dominant force in the ACC, which is, uh, I mean, maybe Georgia Miami, Tech, you could Miami, argue, but Georgia we won't Tech, see yeah. them. Georgia Tech and Miami both are very good teams, yeah. but we won't see them. Thank goodness. I think Georgia Tech could maybe gain 1,000 yards against our run defense. You never yeah. know. It's just, <laughs> hate to just keep beating a dead horse. But, I mean, after th- – four games in a row I think we're giving up 42 points a game in conference play and these are not outstanding offenses they're solid offenses but they're offenses that have struggled to get over 20 points many games and they're getting 40 and 50 easily Mm -hmm. so just yeah definitely gotta turn around this weekend I mean it's homecoming it's a huge week everyone's everyone's really excited about it everyone's really hyped up big tradition um Maryland not not a great team not a great team and I think I think we could but uh we definitely have to turn something around
Yeah, I think it's going to depend more on how we play than on how Maryland plays. We're capable of winning, especially with the offense and just a little bit of defensive effort. But it's going to be up to us. And that's that's it for sports. I'm Tyler Everett. I'm Sean Clem. And now we're on to the VIP section. Thanks for listening. the triangles vip talking to people that matter according to the north carolina center for nonprofits nonprofit organizations employ more than 400,000 people across the state a figure that is close to 10% of all jobs in the state and provides about 13 billion dollars in wages to north carolinians this evening on Isle on the triangles vip segment we are joined by dr woody kato assistant director of the ncsu university career center Dr. Kato is joining Eye on the Triangle this evening to discuss how students here at NC State can use the Career Center to help when they're seeking employment in the nonprofit sector. Thank you for joining us this evening, Dr. Kato. It's good to be with you. Would you be kind enough to discuss the NCSU Career Center to those of us who aren't familiar with it? Sure. The University Career Center is really kind of like the, the center of the University Career Services on campus. Uh, there are some other satellite uh, centers around that uh, deal specifically with uh, specific college majors and that sort of thing. But for the most part, we are the largest career services setting on campus, uh, serving most of the, of the majors uh, across the campus. With you know, The exception would be like CALS and College of Management and uh, Textiles, where they have their own career services available in their particular colleges. But we serve all students at University Career Center. Where is the University Career Center located? It's located in uh, Pullen Hall, 2100 Pullen Hall, right next to Harris Hall, on uh, just off Dan Allen Drive. Do you predominantly work with students who are looking for work in the nonprofit sector? Well, I primarily work with CHAS students, uh, students in College of Humanities and Social Sciences. And, of course, a lot of our students are focused on, or some of our students at least, are focused on uh, nonprofits. But the, what I find as far as nonprofits go is that it crosses over any number of majors, not just CHAS majors. The Institute for Nonprofits, of course, is located in the, the CHAS College, so we have an automatic uh, relationship you know, with folks going into that particular area of work. But it does cross all majors. Uh, it's amazing how little people know sometimes about nonprofits in general. In general, what should people know about nonprofit organizations? Well, basically, a nonprofit uh, status is, is usually a, a, a tax status more than anything else. We tend sometimes to think of nonprofits as being uh, no no profit or no salary, uh, a little salary, but it's really not true. We often think of nonprofits as being local small agencies, which they are, but for the most part, uh, there are some very large uh, nonprofit uh, organizations out there that are huge and actually run like a major corporation as far as personnel and the kinds of people that are needed to be involved with um, you know, running programs and setting up organizations and uh, taking care of the financials, the accounting, and that sort of thing in that. So it's not necessarily a low-salary uh, type of opportunity, yeah, but most of these are going to be the kinds of organizations where any uh, income is funneled back into the organization and the services they provide. That's the main distinction as far as the different ways they're set up. Earlier, you mentioned the Chass Institute of Nonprofit Studies. Is that a new program here at NC State? 
it's fairly new. Uh, they have a very nice website that explains a lot of the different things that they do. Uh, part of what they do is we have a nonprofit, um, pro- nonprofit minor uh, as part of the CHAS curriculum, and it's administered through the Nonprofit Institute. But they're also a resource. Uh, they have a lot of resources for people who want to explore careers, uh, connect you with local and larger organizations related to nonprofits. So this is a great resource center on campus, just for information, if nothing else. If somebody wants to explore careers in that area, I'd be delighted to work with them. Um, or my colleague, Sarah Consini, would be a, another good resource as well. But we often work hand-in-hand or refer them to the Nonprofit Institute as well. Given the current high unemployment rate, graduates are entering a very competitive job market. Do you have any advice for students who are looking to enter work in the nonprofit sector? It's basically the same information I would give you regardless of any job. Uh, Nonprofits need people who have specific skills. Um, They have needs to to fill uh, positions and opportunities within the organization. I think the main difference would be that uh, the economy probably has hit nonprofits very hard because when the economy's down, people tend not to give as much and not able to give as much. And a lot of nonprofits really, uh, really count on donations and gifts to fund their particular cause or program. So you know, part, of, part of what nonprofits are having to do now is to do a lot with a little bit uh, and a lot less. So, you know, a person who has a real desire, a real heart for nonprofits, uh, I think it's important for them to realize that they have to sell themselves on the, the passion that they have for doing what the nonprofit is doing. And sometimes volunteering is a good way to get in, to get your foot in the door and establish yourself and also to test your interest against the, the, the real world of need of that particular nonprofit. So it's the same thing that you would do for any job, an internship, um, doing your research, finding out what's out there, all of those things, the general rules of any kind of job search are going to apply to nonprofits as well. With the negative impact that the recession has had on the nonprofit sector, do you have to offer different advice to students looking for work from nonprofit organizations? It would not be that much different than it is with most other organizations. Um, one of the things that we encourage students to do, regardless of their career path, but probably especially with nonprofits, is to maintain as much flexibility as possible. You know, a person, say, for instance, may want to go to work for um, the ACLU or the American Red Cross or the International Red Cross. That would be an honorable thing to want to do. And those are larger larger operations that are run somewhat like companies or corporations. But you may not be able to make it to the highest levels first. And so working in a field that's either related to those areas or being willing to come in at a, at a lower level to work your way into the organization, it's the same rule that applies. Uh, flexibility, trying to get yourself at least in a, a related field. It, it may not be your ideal, but it's a starting place, and that's basically what you're looking for when you start your job search straight out of college. It's a good starting place to establish yourself and then begin to make the connections that are going to enable you to find the opportunities that you're looking for later on. Whether they want to work in the nonprofit sector or not, if a student would like help from the Career Center, what's the best way to get started? Should they just go by and make an appointment? Well, that's one way you can do it. Obviously, we have a great website. It's, it's getting even better. Uh, we're going to be doing some new things in the coming uh, months. 
and it's loaded with information. A lot of people find what they need on the website, but I find that it's helpful for students to get started with Career Center as early as possible. We typically tell freshmen at orientation uh, to begin thinking about uh, making their first contact with the Career Center usually the first semester of the sophomore year. That way it gives them, gives them their freshman year to get established in college, um, figure out what they're going to do academically and that sort of thing, and then start immersing themselves in, in the career applications of their academic uh, experience. The way that works is typically a person may come, a student may come in the first semester of sophomore year, and we will just start exploring with them what it is that they want to do. Some people are very clear about that. A lot of people are not. A lot of students are still trying to define what career means for them. And that's one of the things I personally enjoy doing is working with students who may come in and either say, I don't know what all I can do with my major, or I don't have a clue. Either one of those is good. Uh, and it's a big club that they're a part of. They, sometimes students feel like they're the only ones out there that just don't have a clue what they want to do, but it's not true. But I enjoy working with them at that point of clarifying both their skill strengths, um, the things that they want to work on, what their passions are. I think one of the big issues for me in terms of finding the correct job or right job is to know what your career values are, how those fit you know, with what you want to do. One of the questions I always ask people is, how do you want to make a difference? You know, what kind of impact, impact or footprint do you want to leave on the world uh, as a result of the work you've done? So, you know, getting started with the center, uh, we, we can help you with a resume, get the resume going. Um, as you move through the process and you have opportunities to interview, one of the things that we really enjoy doing is doing mock interviews or practice interviews with students so that they get over a little bit of that nervousness the first time they go out to, to interview with a company or an organization. I find it that uh, students improve significantly just with one or two practices in that. So that's a nice service, I think, all the career services offer on campus. You mentioned earlier that the Career Center has a lot of tools for job seekers. Do you happen to have the address for that website? Yes, I do. It's um, www.ncsu.edu forward slash career, and that will take you directly to the website. Our alumni from NC State also allowed to use the University Career Center. The, alum, the Alumni Career Services is actually handled through the alumni organization, but it is a very nice uh, program. It's a very small fee involved with that and usually is connected to being a part of the Alumni Association itself. But um, a lot of people who take advantage of that. What we are doing now is we are... We typically have allowed uh, students to take advantage of services for at least one full semester after they graduate to allow for that transition time. In light of the economy and the kinds of things that we're dealing with now, the challenges related to that, we have extended that to one or two, two semesters now for one, one year. And that, that means you can come in just and make an appointment just like a regular student receive the same kind of assistance that you that you would otherwise uh, as an enrolled student. It's just our way to kind of say we know it's tough out there, and it may take a little longer with the job search, and we're here to help any way we can with that. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle here on WKNC 88.1. After the break, we'll continue our look at the nonprofit sector by checking in with Kelly Beck, a fundraising coordinator for the raleigh Base 1304 Bikes Cooperative. Uh, they'll be having their first major fundraiser this Friday evening from 6 to 10 p.m. at the AHP art gallery eye on the triangles vip talking to people that matter 
One problem faced by many young nonprofit organizations is finding a permanent space to operate out of. This problem is one very familiar to 1304 Bikes, a bicycle collective based in Raleigh that's been operating since 2004. To discuss their fundraising efforts, I'm joined by one of their volunteers, Kelly Beck. Thank you very much for joining us, Kelly. Would you mind giving us a brief introduction to your organization and some of the programs that you run? Sure. Um, we are a group. We've been around about five years. Uh, just recently got our 501c3 nonprofit status from the federal government. Uh, our main focus is our earn a bike program. People donate bikes to us that they're not using anymore. And through our earn a bike program, anybody, uh, regardless of age, um, economic background, uh, anything um, can come and work some volunteer hours and earn a bike and then all the bikes need repairs and then they can uh, get some help in repairing the bike and then it's theirs totally free of charge. Uh, another thing that we do is just while we have open shop is if you already have a bike but you need to repair it or you want to learn about it, you can come and we'll help you out with that. How many people have earned a bicycle through your program? Um, we hadn't been keeping records uh, when we first started, but we come up with the numbers for 2008, and it was about 200 people. 200 people earning bicycles is quite impressive. How many hours were each of them expected to put in? Um, the program's designed to take about eight hours, regardless of the condition of the bike. During this eight hours, did they work on bicycles for themselves, or were they building bicycles for other people? How, how did this work? Um, they are, When they're earning the bike, uh, participants are helping out um, just to run the shop, a variety of tasks, cleaning, helping somebody else fix their bike, sorting parts, um, all kinds of things. And we've even had people earn bikes by using other skills that they have, fixing a broken window that we had, um, helping us with some artwork so that it was easier to find things around the shop. So we'll, we'll pretty much use whatever skills you have. Early this summer, the Earn a Bike program was shut down, though, correct? That's right. Due to zoning, we were um, working out of a basement in a residential area, and um, it's a not zoned for anything other than residents, so we had to um, shut down. You said earlier that your group recently received its 501c3 status from the federal government. Uh, that status allows organizations such as those that are charitable, religious, or educational in nature to be exempt from federal income taxes. What is the current status of 1304 Bikes, and what are some of your immediate goals? Um, well, obviously, we're not doing the open shop program and the earn a bike program right now because um, we don't have a physical space. Uh, we had to get rid of all the all the bikes that we had um, for you know, that were available for the earn a bike program. We dispersed those to similar projects in Durham and Wilmington. Um, right now we are doing some mobile repair clinics on, um, on Sunday afternoons and we're, um, embarking on a big fundraising effort to get a new space. This effort begins this Friday night, November 6th. That's right. Um, we are going to be doing a, um, a silent auction. It's part of the first Friday, art gallery crawl that goes on in downtown um ah peel studio uh it's just outside of downtown on capitol boulevard they have allowed us to use the space for free um and we have gotten a lot of local artists to donate pieces and everything sort of bike human powered transportation themed and uh, we're going to be doing a silent auction 
Are you able to describe for us some of the pieces? Have you been privy enough to see some of them ahead of time? Uh, I've only seen a few so far. Um, I think a lot of the artists are down to the wire, but I'm sure they're all come through for us. Uh, but I do know that we have painting, sculpture, photography, some uh, fabric art coming in, as well as um, a pair of Raleigh denim jeans is being donated. So that's really exciting. For some of the artists that are donating their talents to this uh, fundraising project? Sure. Um, of course, big names in Raleigh, Dave Eichenberger, Casey Porn and Paul Friedrich, um, otherwise known as the Onion Head Monster. Um, they're all contributing. Also, um, Michael Pilmer, the I Threw Up guy. Uh, those are some biggest names, and I mentioned Raleigh Dunham. Um, but there's going to be a lot of other really fantastic pieces that I'm so excited about that um, maybe new people that you've never heard of. So please come check it out. Also been led to believe there's going to be some fashion apparel for sale um, at the fundraiser. No, anything about that? Oh, yes. Um, a couple of the volunteers and I have uh, fashioned a lot of earrings um, and a few other things that we're working on. It's all out of recycled bike parts. So um, that's been a fun project to work on. If people want to join in on the, the fun time, maybe uh, help out the 1304 Bikes Collective, what time should they get down to derailed on Friday evening? Uh, bidding is from 6 to 10 p.m. And, of course, DJ Gonzo will be... Um, playing music for us during that time and uh, we hope to have some local beer and uh, just all be having a good time what is your overall goal for the evening um it's just we're hoping going to be a really big fundraiser um through the winter we're going to be holding several fundraisers so that we can amass um a good chunk of money and then sign a lease on a new shop are you hoping this new shop will be downtown raleigh or Absolutely. We feel really strongly that um, a centrally located shop would serve all neighborhoods of Raleigh the best. If we could have something maybe close to the cat bus station, um, that would that would be make us equally accessible to everyone. When you close your doors this summer, the city council expressed interest in helping uh, 1304 bikes continue to operate. Have they been able to help you find a viable space downtown? Um, Raleigh City Council has expressed a lot of support for what we're doing. Um, they did try to negotiate with us and a private property owner, um, but, but that fell through. Other than that, the, the city has not been involved in finding a new space, although they have expressed support for the project. Has the recession caused you all to restructure your fundraising goals or to change your operating calendar? Um, we understand that it's it's a hard time to be fundraising, but um, we just want to get back to doing our regular operations as soon as possible. And so um, we're just going to keep pushing until, until we get what we need, hopefully. How are spirits with the volunteers at the 1304 Bike Collective? Um, it's been frustrating and disheartening, um, but we are just trying to stay positive. Uh, the reality was our last space wasn't ideal. Um, it was it was in a, a decent location, and it was very very cheap, but um, but it was very small and a difficult space to work in. Um, and so, this was sort of we're trying to view it as the motivation that we needed to find a, a more suitable space. Without a permanent space, has it been difficult to keep awareness of 1304 bikes active? 
Um, we, we have been trying to really stay visible because we don't have a physical space anymore. Um, it was hard losing our space at the time that we did because we had really become so well-known and and very depended on in the community. A lot of people really relied on us to be there twice a week if they needed bike repair. So it was a hard time to lose our space. Um, we are trying to make sure that no one forgets that we're still here. We're, we're coming back. What about your mobile repair stations? How has turnout been for those events? Um, it's been spotty. Right now, um, so far, we have only gone to Moore Square on Sunday afternoons, and um, we have seen a lot of our old friends there. Um, we are starting now. We've got a regular schedule going. So the first Sunday of every month, we are going to be at Moore Square between 1 and 4 p.m., and the third Sunday of every month, we are going to be traveling around Raleigh. So we've got, um, we've actually got somebody in the city of Raleigh community services department who is setting up days um, on the third Sunday of each month to be in a different neighborhood. And uh, the city is getting in touch with community leaders in those neighborhoods to make everyone aware that we're going to be there. And so we hope that the turnout in the neighborhoods will be very good. The mobile repair clinic schedule as well as other events akin to the derailed fundraiser are shared on a Google calendar at the 1304 Bikes website, which is 1304bikes.org. Kelly, do you have any advice for new or other nonprofits going through rough times from your experiences with the collective or organizing this fundraiser? Uh, definitely look into the zoning laws before you move into a space. That uh, was something we didn't even consider. Um, but no, uh, I've really learned, um, just to ask for help. People are really willing to give it. And, uh, if you just let people know what your needs are, they're very willing to help you meet them. So, uh, that, that's been a great lesson for me, just realizing how much support there is. You just need to let people know what it is you need. Triangle. Your local music news. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. This week for another combined effort of Community Canvas and Hear This, we go to Durham for the Choika Music Festival. Choika has come a long way since its birth from the original project, the Durham Music Festival. Yet so has Durham, boasting its newly built Durham Performing Arts Center. Mike Alston sat down with Kyle Miller one of the event organizers, to talk about what makes Durham such a great place for music, what's new to the Troika lineup this year, and how some of the bills got put together for this year's festival. The festival itself has obviously grown tremendously since 2002, its inception. Have Has the amount of things happening in Durham grown as well over the past seven years? Absolutely. Uh, I think there's always been a lot of great stuff happening in Durham. Um, maybe it's previously more under the radar, uh, people didn't know about it so much. But now as downtown is kind of reemerging, you know, coming into its own again, uh, there are more venues opening in Durham. Um, I also think a lot of creative people have moved to Durham over the last, you know, 10 years or so. Um, you know, Durham's affordable, Durham's walkable, Durham's a great place to live. And I think it's brought a lot of people into town. And 
you know, the more creative people you have in town of, of whatever sort, uh, you know, the more talent you have to draw Absolutely. from in putting on something like this. It conti- It's sort of self-perpetuating. Yeah. So do you think that Troika sort of mirrors, there's a lot of talk about the downtown Durham revival. How much do you think Troika mirrors or maybe even helps shape what Durham is aspiring to be? I think they're heavily related, right? Um, we're able to put on a better festival because, you know, there are more places to have shows and have bands. Um, and, and like I said, you know, as Durham is growing um, culturally, if you will, um, you know, as, as we bring in those more, more creative folks, um, there's, there's that talent pool to draw from. There's, there's that economic activity going on um, that is more and more each year as well, you know, and I think, mm-hmm. I think we absolutely help draw from that. And if, you know, if we're at all a part of encouraging that kind of stimulus, um, all the better. Absolutely. Uh, and also, in addition to maybe Durham's role in the triangle, let's talk a little bit about the triangle's role in sort of the national music scene. You guys open this up. Uh, you open up artist submissions universally, right? Yeah, there's a form out on the web, and we try to spread that out as much as we can, you know, to blogs that'll pick it up or, you know, websites that'll run our news stories. Um, we get it out there on sites like Reverb Nation, you know, uh-huh. that have a lot of bands. Uh, and there's a submission form, and, and I think one thing that's it's probably not unique, but it's uncommon for festivals, is it's free to submit. And free in, in both the monetary sense that doesn't cost you anything and free in that anyone is allowed to do it. And so we get submissions from all over the place, you know, submissions. um, Honestly, we've gotten some um, not just from far flung parts of the country, but um, from France and from Greece this year. Um, There was an Italian artist that submitted, you know, and a a lot of times those things are logistically hard to make happen. Um, But, you know, we love that, that the name is getting out there. Uh, And part of the reason that that's getting out there is, I mean, you know, look at all the great triangle acts that we have involved. Mm hmm. So what else does Troika encompass exactly in addition to the live shows? Troika is mainly a music festival, um, always has been. Um, This year, you know, we're involving a new event um, as part of the Troika Music Festival that's called Rock, Paper, Scissors uh, to bring in other kinds of artists. Um, So not just just music, um, but also, um, you know, visual artists and crafters. Um, We'll have painters and photographers and people that make handmade clothing, um, purses, uh, things like that. Local artists, you know, it doesn't mean just music. It means a lot of things. Absolutely. And so we're, we're happy to involve um, those folks uh, in a music event, uh, the Rock, Paper, Scissors event. It's going to be, we're calling it an arts, crafts, and music marketplace because not only are these artists and crafters going to have their goods for sale, but we're also going to have live bands playing at the event, and there's also going to be a big merch table um, where any of the bands that are performing at Troika can leave their merch. Nice. It's like cross-pollinating audiences. You know, those artists have a draw of their own. People come to buy their things because either they know um, of of that artist's work uh, or they're just coming and they're looking and they're interested in that marketplace, and that's getting some exposure for those bands that are playing there. Uh, and on the other side, you know, there are people that know the work of those bands and they're going to come see those bands and they're going to be there in a marketplace with the opportunity to buy things 
um, from these artists and crafters, you know, so it's kind of cross-pollinating audiences, if you will. Do you want to talk a little bit about the special sort of environment of the Deepak show and how that came together? Yeah, I think it's really neat idea. Um, we had been talking to some folks at Deepak um, about, you know, the festival um, and seeing if there was a way that, that they might be able to be involved, you know, um, maybe as a sponsor or things like that. And, um, and as we got to talking, they said, well, you know, we do have event spaces at the Deepak that you, that you might be interested in using. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we got to talking and Mimi and I went down there and actually toured the Deepak um, with their staff. And we got to looking around, and, and one of the things um, that the DPAC staff mentioned to us was that, you know, they have had um, catered events on the stage itself, you know, using the stage as a room, essentially. And we got to talking about that and thought, you know, if we put a stage on this stage and set up lights and a PA and everything, you know, you could use it as a decent-sized venue in and of itself. You know, it'll... it'll we kind of estimated that the capacity is going to be maybe three or 400, you know, instead of, um, I don't know the capacity of Deepak off the top of my head, but I I think it's, I think it's around 4,000. It might even be more than that. Right. Maybe for Troika 2030, right? (laughs) Right. 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 Sometime down the road. Right. But I think it's a really neat opportunity, um, you know, to, to involve, um, something large like the Deepak in terms of visibility and scope, um, with the local indie scene and, you know, give, you know, people an opportunity to come to the DPAC who um, honestly may never go there. You know, you're going to be on the stage behind the curtain and see, you know, you, you'll really see the backstage of the venue. And that's why we're calling that event backstage at the DPAC, um, because you can really see the back end of the Durham Performing Arts Center and see what's going on back there. Talk about some of the vitals of Troika. Uh, Troika kicks off this Thursday, correct? That's right. Thursday, the 5th of November and runs through Saturday, the 7th. Awesome. And so how, how are you guys kicking off Troika this year? So this year um, is going to be similar to last year in that we're having a big kickoff party uh, in downtown Durham at Central Park. Um, they have a nice pavilion there where they run the farmer's market and things like that. It's a great place to set up for an outdoor show. It's a big outdoor event that we really want to have. Hey, here's a big party to kick off the festival. And we also use that as a place for um, people to pick up will call passes that they might have ordered online. And people could also come and just straight purchase passes there. Mm-hmm. And this year, uh, that kickoff show is going to feature Megaphone and The Beast, um, two just you know absolutely great local acts that really have big things going for them. Absolutely. And those two bands are sort of opposite ends of the musical spectrum. They're, they're both sort of similar in that they draw from so many different musical inspirations, but how did you guys decide on Megaphone and the Beast for that? We were just tossing ideas around. Um, that's one of the most fun parts of this, um, for me anyway, is, you know, it's hard and it's agonizing to choose the bands that you have room to include, but once you've selected those bands, the actual process of figuring out how to put them together and build bills out of it, and so these two acts, you know, we just thought, and they have such a great presence. And those are, they're two really great bands that, you're right, may not have a ton in common musically. Uh, but that's something that, you know, we like to do at Troika. And, and that's something that I think works better um, around here than you might think. You know, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, kind of a, 
a little bit out there Americana act um, versus a, you know, jazz and soul inspired hip hop act. Um, but they actually appeal to a, a, a lot of the same people. You know, uh, a good example is last year we had a tooth play a show with Midtown Dickens <laughs> and and it was awesome. That's it so was, ballsy. It, it was absolutely <laughs> packed at the Duke Coffee House. And what I what I thought was great, and I've, I've heard other people mention this as well, is it wasn't really two separate crowds. There was just a ton of people there packing the coffee house, and you saw a lot of people in the crowd singing the words to both bands. So they're not they're not indie acoustic guitar fans or metal fans. They're music fans. That's right. They just like music. You know, we bring people out that that know that there are great bands here. You know, people that have been living in the Triangle know this. Um, but, you know, it's not really like, oh, there's this great rock band or there's this great hip-hop band. It's, mm-hmm. There's these two great bands. Exactly. And you, you get a chance to see them both uh, on the same stage, you know, which I think is a really fun thing to do. So that contrast isn't as big of a deal as I was making it out to be. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I'm um, not... You know, I don't know that the contrast is a huge deal, um, but, you know, it just it goes to show that you don't have to fit a certain mold or be a band of a certain type, I think, um, to succeed around here, even though maybe it has, you know, in the past had a reputation, you know, there used to be the, the Chapel Hill sound or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which even at the time was less uh, homogenous than you might think. You know, all those bands really did sound quite different, but it just kind of got typecast that Especially way. Especially in retrospect. Absolutely. Just, yeah. All right. Let's talk about music. The show that will attract the most dedicated Triangle Music fans will be the Rock, Paper, Scissors event on Saturday. Featuring three bands that I'm really excited about. Three Days in Vegas, Ten Star, and a band that's buzzing the Triangle Wild, Mount Mariah. This show is for fans of post-rock, lush-layered keyboards, and for those looking for something new. And then there will be decision time throughout the whole entire weekend. Troika is so packed full of good shows that it's just not possible to be at every show. Decisions and sacrifices will be made. Here are some of the tough ones. On Thursday night at 1145, it's Future Islands at Duke Coffee House. Versus the Moaners at Broad Street Cafe. Oh no, hit the snooze. Then on Friday, it's triple decision time for 1030. With Hammer No More the Fingers at the Trotter Building. Versus Bella Fea at the Pinhook. You said it's over, but it never even happened. you when I was defining Versus Embarrassing Fruits at the Marvel Event Center. And then 
on Saturday. It's another triple decision, and it comes early in the night at 9.30 with Ludd at the Marvel Event Center. Versus Veronique Diabolique at the Pinhook. Versus V. Lee at the Duke Coffee House. information on your local music scene and festival coverage of Troika, you can visit wknc.org slash blog. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Next up, we have our Wolfpacker of the Week segment. I sat down with Jeffrey Johnson from Student Government, who talked to us a little bit about the Keiyao Memorial that he's working on for next year. So listen to that. Student of the Week on Eye on the Triangle. Talking with wolf packers that are leading the pack. Hey guys, my name is Jeffrey Johnson and I'm your uh, athletics commissioner here at North Carolina State University's student government. And uh, I just want to take a minute to uh, tell everybody about a project that we're working on. And it is the NC State Student Government Coaches Corner and, and it will be opening up this year with the Keiyao Memorial Project. And, and basically, uh, just an overview of what exactly we're doing is uh, we're, uh, we're building a memorial uh, adjacent to Reynolds Coliseum on the tally side, um, closest to the student tunnels in the front of Reynolds. And, uh, and basically what, what it's going to be is uh, it's a reflective area where um, students can go and, and think and just sit down and relax and maybe read a book and just reflect on what they've got going on and uh it will eventually uh honor all the coaches that have really meant a lot to this university and the initial one being Kay Yao, as we all know of all the things that she's done for our university and for cancer research um, so what we're doing is the initial phase of this project is going to be the Kay Yao memorial fund uh, which is raising money to build a garden and a bus and pedestal of Coach K. Yao. And we have plans drawn up by our university architect for the Memorial Garden, and it will include uh, benches and a nice stone walkway and uh, some nice landscaping around the area, just kind of have it secluded. And then the bus itself will be about one and a half times life size, and it'll be made of uh, the pedestal will be made of pink granite to kind of go along with the, the breast cancer awareness theme. And uh, I think the... The project itself, our fundraising goal is going to be $85,000, and we're proud to say that we've already raised $23,000, so that's a good start, but we need to keep going to be able to reach this goal of uh, project completion in April before school gets out. We, uh, we've already got one private donation of, of $23,000, um, and that, that came actually before this, uh, this actually has gone public. 
Uh, and we actually got permission uh, last week from University Development to go public uh, with fundraising. So we're off to a great start already, and we just need to keep it up. And we'll be having different events throughout the year um, to help fundraise. And I guess the biggest thing that we're going to be doing is sending letters to former players and just uh, um, putting ads out in, in the different newspapers and uh, media groups uh, to reach NC State fans and just Coach Yao fans in general because uh, she touched so many lives through her work, not just through NC State and, and her winning and uh, women's basketball, but just through her, her inspiration to so many people who, who have breast cancer and other forms of cancer for uh, just her fighting for so long. As uh, many people know, she was actually fought cancer uh, longer than most people here at NC State have been alive. So she really inspired many people with her courageous battle. Um, and just, I think the one fundraiser that we'll really look out um, for students on is, uh, I think we'll be selling pink T-shirts uh, in the brickyard for the memorial. And uh, But other than that, I mean, we'll accept just general donations, but um, we're mostly targeting just NC State fans and, and women's basketball fans in general. Uh, if, if anyone is interested in helping out, with the project itself, um, you feel free to email me at uh, jeffrey.johnson721 at gmail.com. And uh, I spell my name J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. Sound bites on Eye on the Triangle. Opinions from around the NC State campus. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle's Sound Bites. I'm Seja Hindi. In the ongoing debate for health care reform, another initiative is facing scrutiny a proposed soda tax. Some of President Barack Obama's top advisors, as well as some senators, are discussing an increased soda tax as a way to help pay for expanded health insurance and combat obesity. This sugar-sweetened beverage excise tax, as the Senate Finance Committee has termed it, would not apply to diet sodas or real juice. Eye on the Triangle's Matt Moore asked students around campus what they think of this proposed tax. Here's what they had to say. I'm Josh Small, and I'm in computer science. On any tax increase, I don't see how much of the effect is because it gets lumped together by the time I buy the item. So I don't notice a lot of it. And I like sodas the price they are right now. So if it changes like the vending machine right there, then I might be a little angry just like stop paying sodas. Overall, do you think it would have much effect on your, on your lifestyle? Or? Maybe not me so much, but in bigger places like Fountain Dining Hall and stuff, if it changes those prices at all, because I do occasionally drink soda there more. I'm Rebecca Dolan, and I'm first year of college, and I'm a freshman. Um, it won't affect me because I don't really drink soda or anything, so... Personally, I won't really care, but, yeah. Hey, I'm Megan Monteith and Undecided. Um, I think it'll affect me a little bit because every now and then I like an energy drink. And I think a lot of college kids probably resort to energy drinks um, when they need to stay up late. So it'll definitely affect most college kids, and I think it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, I'm Sonny Williams. I am a computer science major. Okay, and so what are your uh, your thoughts about the tax? It's stupid. What you care to elaborate? Um... It's stupid. Why would I have to pay more for my soda because of, isn't it to help get money for the, the health care bill that's going through? But yeah, I like my soda the way it is. Dylan Price, uh, business management, concentration finance. For me personally, I don't drink much soda, so it doesn't have much of an effect on me. Uh, possibly the energy drinks, 
I think it's kind of good, though, actually. Uh, I think it can help uh, decrease the amount of sodas, which maybe might lower obesity as well. So <laughs> I think it's good. Uh, I'm a freshman. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, soda tax, that's a no-no. Um, I felt like, okay, if the soda tax is supposed to help fund the, ref the new health reform, then we don't need to have the new health reform. Because um, it's just going to make people stop, like, I'm not going to pay $3 for a soda. That's like going to an amusement park and paying $3 for a soda. No, it's not going to happen. That's how, that's how I feel about it. I'll just start drinking water every day. That's what it's going to be. So you think it would just make you stop drinking sodas completely? Pretty much. But then you do have those people who can't live without their soda, and then they're going to be the ones that fund the health reform or whatever the soda tax is going to. Okay, so, so. do you think it's a, it would be a good tax or a bad one? Um, if the health reform wasn't such, mm, then it would be a good tax because the idea is good, but the execution of the health reform is not. And that was your Eye on the Triangle Sound Bites with Matt Moore. another episode of Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Don't forget to check out our blog after the show, wknc.org slash blog, for updates on this show and next week's. Also, email us at publicaffairs at wknc.org for comments, suggestions, or gripes.